Hey, what's up, guys? Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. Today, I wanted to talk to you and tell you a little bit about Anchor. It is the podcast platform that we use here for FMBA Nation, and it is probably the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. Secondly, there's tons of creation tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also help you with the distribution of your podcast so it can be heard on different types of platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need to make a podcast and more all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to www.anchor.fm to get started. What's up, guys? This is Bill Brower with FMBA Nation coming to you from the Serve Pro Studios here at Rawway, New Jersey. We got a great episode today. As you can tell, we are prepared. I've got Captain Steve Spur, who's the chairman of the EMS committee for the state NJFMBA. He is also a captain on the Union Fire Department, as well as a paramedic for 35 years. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining me. I appreciate the uh, time. This is a uh, very crucial show here. Got a lot of information we can get out to our members as well as our family members of our membership. Um, let's start out with uh, your experience. Give us a little background about your knowledge and experience, what you have done, and then let's get into this uh, coronavirus talk. All right, Bill. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, this is an important message that we want to put out to our members. It's an ongoing media blast that the members are getting inundated with. So I feel it is important for us to update our members and give them a very realistic perspective mm -hmm. outside of the media hype of what's going on with this and how we should be responding to it as first responders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So about me, I've been a fireman, firefighter for 30 years for the Township of Union. I am a New Jersey paramedic for the past 35 years. I had the opportunity to be appointed the EMS chairman for the FMBA, um, which I was mostly a labor position, but due to the ever-changing landscape of the first responder system, we've gotten into a, a clinical aspect where we're able to educate our members now. And I've been focusing a lot on that now, education. Mm -hmm. um, let's jump right into this because this is obviously the biggest news story probably in the past 10 years. Um, you know, there's so many different things this is affecting right now. This coronavirus, um, tell us a little bit about it. We know it started back in December uh, 2019 in a small province in China. Uh, it started to spread. Give us a little bit of insight about the disease. Um, what are some of the ways that it spreads? Uh, some signs and symptoms you need to look out for and maybe some preventative measures we can take. All right, but well, like most viruses, and, and this is something people don't realize, most of the flu-like viruses that we develop, even here in this country, they usually start in the a Asia area. Um, the flu vaccine alone, the, every year it's a different vaccine, and it's really based on the four or five top flu infections 
that were in China the year before. Mm -hmm. It's just like a weather pattern. One of the things the CDC, the World Health Organization, has been able to chart is the progression of the viruses as it spreads through the world, whether that's the flu, whether it's Ebola, which actually started in the African uh, continent, but they could still see how it spreads. So as far as what is corona, corona is a virus. It's not the flu. Mm -hmm. It's not a common cold. It's corona. And when I say corona, what that means is that's the family of viruses right. that this belongs to. Right. Uh, when you look at influenza, you see influenza A, you see influenza B. Influenza is a separate virus. So I want to make it clear this is not the flu. It's just a flu-like virus. Corona has been around for years. Mm -hmm. There has been numerous different types of uh, coronaviruses. You may remember back in 2003, there was a SARS outbreak. Yep. SARS was a coronavirus. You could pick up any standard uh, bottle of Lysol and you'll see kills coronavirus. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really include Corona-19, which is what we're facing now, as far as we know. Right. And that's one of the problems with this is there's not a lot of information on this virus because it's new. Mm -hmm. I think, I know uh, coronavirus was first discovered back in 1960, I think it was, was the first coronavirus. The original Correct. Or coronavirus. And then yes. in addition to SARS, we also had the MERS, MERS which, the which was the Middle East Syndrome. Yep. So, I mean, um, you know, I think the biggest thing right now is uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. Like you stated, this is uh, a new strain of a coronavirus. Um, it's undetermined yet as to how, uh, how much, <laughs> how fast this will spread. We've seen how fast it's spread already, but, um, you know, there's a lot of unknown variables. I don't think you could do that. There's a lot of unknown variables about this strain of the coronavirus. Um, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, it, it shouldn't be taken lightly, but in the same breath, um, until we get more data and more information, a lot of the hype, a lot of the uh, fear over this, and a, a lot of um, the reactions of certain, you know, uh, organizations and things like that are can be taken either way, right? We can either say, well, that's a yeah, little, that's correct. little extreme, or maybe, you know, we don't know yet. So, so what are we facing here? One of the things I want to start off by saying is we are not looking at the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to underrate what this is. This is a virus, just like the flu. Nobody wants the flu, especially the elderly, immunocompromised people or people with significant health issues. It's more detrimental to them. So what a lot of people like doing is compare this to the flu. And when we look at that comparison, and I'll just give you some numbers, so far this year in this country, there's been 36 million or so cases of influenza. Plus or minus a couple. Plus or minus. <laughs> of those, there's been 18,000 deaths. Yep. So you're talking about a 0.1% of the cases resulted in death. Mm -hmm. So depending on the, the media outlet you look at, and as always, you got to look at what you're really looking at when, when you uh, pull up these media outlets on the internet, is... For example, in this country, so far diagnosed, again, give or take a few numbers, there's been 1,700 cases of diagnosed 
coronavirus. That's not. That's including presumptive or not including presumptive. That's including presumptive, okay. but that also includes cases that have already resolved. Okay. Of those, there's been 41 deaths. Mm -hmm. So if you look at those numbers, that that's a 2.5 percent or so, give or take. You know, the margin error. Uh, 2.5 percent of the cases resulted in death, and, and you're like, wow, that, that's significant compared to. 0.1%. Mm -hmm. A lot of people always say numbers don't lie. No, they don't, but they can be manipulated, and that's real important to look at here. And the fact is, the number of corona cases that we've identified aren't really giving us adequate numbers. So when we break this down into demographics of who's actually dying, we're starting to see some really interesting statistics. Mm -hmm. And one of those statistics, and again, you have to look at numbers. So of these 1,700 cases, the majority of these cases were the majority of the deaths were people with significant medical histories. They were um, immunocompromised, mm -hmm. were elderly. Everybody read on the news about the outbreak in the Washington state area yep. that resulted in 22 deaths, I believe, or 11. I'm not really sure the number, but it was significant. Yeah. They were all nursing home patients. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they were the elderly with significant health issues. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, that, that 1,700 number, that's the number of cases in the United States. The, in the United right. States. Right. Globally, we're talking over 130,000 cases yes. now, I think, yes, reported by the CDC and the World Health Organization. That's correct. So, just so when they actually look at it in demographic groups, two very important things they're finding out. One is the percentage of deaths in those de demographic groups pretty much mimic the amount of deaths in the flu. In the, flu. Mm -hmm. the other thing that's real interesting is the other number they see is the amount of deaths in children mm -hmm. and infants is extremely low, like ex significantly low yep. compared to the flu. And that's one of the things they're looking at. Is why aren't kids getting this? Mm -hmm. But again, one of the things that really skewers all these numbers is we don't have an adequate accounting of who has this virus. I think I think a lot of that boils down to people going get getting tested for it as well, right? right? And and they're not going to test everybody. Mm -hmm. it, you know, one of the things we need to stress to everybody also is if you develop flu-like symptoms, number one, don't go walking into a hospital. No, they don't want you. They don't want to see you there. The best thing to do is you could call your health department for mm -hmm. advice, mm -hmm. or call your primary physician mm -hmm. and say, hey, I have these, you know, symptoms, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the symptoms in a second. What should I do? They're not going to just test you for corona again either. They, there's things you need to look at. And even to this point, the CDC recommends, unless you fit this criteria, don't get tested. Right, right. Or not even don't get tested. We're not going to test you. New Jersey's testing about 40 people a day right now. Okay. Through the uh, Department of Health. Mm -hmm. Private labs, they'll test more, but, and here's again a, a problem that's created is those private labs may not report back Aren't, to right, not the health department the for four or five days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the thing we look at is one, the most obvious were you in contact with someone who's been diagnosed? Mm -hmm. Were you in these travel areas or in contact with someone? in these travel areas, which would be China, Italy, Iran. There is a list that it's available on any township health department website. Mm -hmm. and, and if you don't meet that criteria, they're not just going to test you for corona. Right. Other factors that 
come into this, and this is one of the questions, well, will the flu vaccine help me with this? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. It will help the system globally, because if you've been vaccinated for the flu and you're developing these symptoms, there's a stronger suspicion that it may be coronavirus. Right. So that, that's going to help the system in, in that aspect. And I'm sure you want to get into, in a little while, what should we be doing as first responders? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to take a step back first and talk about, because I really think that uh, in terms of the level of fear that people have, you know, breaking down these numbers is really informative, educational, and maybe it helps alleviate some of that fear and, and bring people back down to a level where it's not uh, chaotic and, and uh you know, and, and, and stressful in that, in that level. And, and one of the websites that I, I got some information from, the CDC um, and World Health Organization, put out some numbers about those uh, aged 60-plus or more at risk. And here's some percentages of infectees who die in their age groups. And you, you pointed it out in terms of more, more people uh, at certain age groups die more frequently from the flu. Uh, age 0 to 9, 0 percent. Right. 0%. But, but one of the things, again, you got to look at, well, because they don't have those numbers yet. <laughs> true, true, very true. Um, age 10 to 19, 0.2% of the infectees have, have perished. 20 to 29, 0.2% of infectees have perished. 30 to 39, 0.2%. Uh, 50 to 59, I'm sorry, 40 to 49, 0.4%. 50 to 59, 1.3% of the infectees have perished. Now, here's where it starts to climb up. 60 to 69, 3.6% of the infectees have perished. 70 to 79, 8% of these people have perished. And 80 plus is 14.8% of infectees have perished. Now, one other thing to talk about, you mentioned the underlying causes. Uh, those with existing conditions percentage uh, with other serious ailments who have perished, uh, people who suffer from cardiovascular disease in those age groups specifically, 10.5% of people who have a car underlying cardiovascular disease have died from yes. the coronavirus. But, and even just to show you if you want to skewer the numbers or look at them at a different aspect, mm -hmm. you know, you're reading the numbers in that specific age group. So in this age group of the people that got it, yep. Um, and let's just talk about 80 and above. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what was the number? 3.6%, I thought you said? For, for uh, 80 six, and above? 80 and above is 14.8%. So now if you want to look at a statistic in another way, yeah. they're also accounting for 78% of the deaths right. in general. Right, yep. So that number is, well, 3.6 or whatever it was of the people in that age group are going to get it. But when you look at all the deaths, mm -hmm. they're accounting for 78%. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, we're just talking about the death, the, the percentage of infectees who have perished, what their age groups were. I think what a lot of people fail to understand is uh, the seriousness of these symptoms, right? When it comes to the, the majority of, of these infections are mild in, in, in terms of the symptoms. I mean, some people might not have even known they might not it. even have it because it's not as severe. I could look back three weeks ago mm -hmm. and I had a flu-like virus, mm -hmm. and we're, we'll talk about symptoms. Well, now I look back. I've been vaccinated for the flu. Mm -hmm. 
it could have been any other virus, but now you want to think, well, gee, did I have coronavirus? It could have been any one of the... And this went through my entire family. It could have been any one of the other six coronaviruses Cor that exist. It could have been an influenza virus. Mm -hmm. It could have been a norovirus. Right. Uh, so let, let's talk a little about signs and let's, symptoms. Yeah, get there. What are we looking for? Again, this is coronavirus. It's a flu-like or similar flu um, experience. So it, it's a respiratory virus. Mm -hmm. It will leave a lesion, not a permanent lesion on the lung, but that's what's been leading to the pneumonia that we keep hearing so much about. When we look at signs and symptoms, and this is where we want to look at the difference between a flu-like or a coronavirus and a common cold. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things to look at is Flu-like viruses and coronaviruses will always be accompanied by a fever. So if you just have that stuffy nose and, you know, the cough with no fever, it's not a coronavirus. It's not an influenza virus. It's probably common cold, a common cold, a rhinovirus, things like that. These more serious illnesses are accompanied by fever. Mm -hmm. The fevers are usually... Sometimes with the corona, they're finding low grade, actually, about 100.4. You know, influenza viruses, we've all seen, especially anyone who has a, has a child, of 103, 104 degrees. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the symptoms are the same. Cough. They, some media outlets will say, oh, it's a dry cough. Others say it's a wet cough. It's been both. Muscle ache. Mm -hmm. So we're talking fever. Um Stuffy nose, coughing. Body aches. Body aches. These are all common. Fatigue. And that's why I always say it's similar mm -hmm. to the flu. Yeah. The other big difference is if you want to see, well, is this a common cold or is this an influenza or corona, is common colds seem to start or come on gradually. Mm -hmm. So you wake up in the morning, you have a stuffy nose. By the time you leave work, you have that scratchy throat. Mm-hmm. By the time you get home for dinner, you know, you, you have that constant cough, maybe a little chest congestion. Mm -hmm. Whereas the corona, influenza viruses, you wake up in the morning, I don't feel great. You know, maybe a little stuffy nose, maybe a little body ache. And then within an hour, you're laying in a bed screaming for help yeah. because you don't feel good. The symptoms come on so abruptly, right. yeah. Right, they, they come on very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And again, so the big thing is rapid onset, accompanied by fever. And one of the things, especially with the corona, is respiratory distress. And when we talk about respiratory distress, we're not talking about my nose is stuffed, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. We're talking shortness of breath. And this is from the lesions or the pneumonia that are developing in your lungs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more in the pleural area, mm -hmm. you know, of your body. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, respiratory distress and shortness of breath. I mean, you know, it, 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 you could you could kind of simulate that to um, uh, not so much tripoding or something like that. But you know, how would you how would you describe the the symptoms of the shortness of breath? Where would where would you kind of put that in? in well, we we always like to talk about the difference between shortness of breath and difficulty breathing. Yep. If I have a stuffed nose. I have difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. If I was just hit in the chest by a fastball playing mm -hmm. baseball and I can't catch my breath, I'm having difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. There it's painful on inspiration. Whereas I'm sitting here at rest talking and I'm like... Like you just got done running two miles. I just can't catch my breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
now we're talking shortness of breath. Yeah. And that's really more the indication that something else is going on. Yeah. And what's I think what's interesting, too, about this, uh, this whole coronavirus thing is the uh, incubation period, right? So you could be exposed to this, uh, this virus uh, two to 14 days. Two to 14 days. Prior, which is pretty, that's a pretty, pretty big broad. Gap. Yeah. Pretty broad. Yeah. And not, not experience or see any symptoms until after or anywhere in between right. those days. So. Think of all the contamination mm -hmm. that, that you could have created or, or caused mm -hmm. with that. Now, one thing they are saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, one thing that the CDC does mention is that a person who is at their peak of the illness is more contagious than somebody who might be in the incubation period where they're just, they haven't even started developing symptoms. They, that person's not as contagious as somebody who's... Well, one who's of the reasons peak. is during the peak of your illness is when you're most sickness or most sick. That's when you're coughing the yep. most. You know, a cough or a sneeze could mm -hmm. spread particles, you know, six feet. Yeah. Um, I so let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how has this disease, how do we see this disease spreading from person to person? It, it's a con, well, there's two ways. You know, when we talk about diseases, there's airborne diseases, there's contact droplet diseases, um, things like scabies. Mm -hmm. Scabies is a contact disease. You need to be touching the person. Um, the common cold is an airborne disease. TB is a droplet disease. Mm -hmm. Droplet and airborne, though, could be really used interchangeably. So what's happening is people have this virus, you know, in their secretions, normal, you know, drippy nose. They either wipe their nose, wipe their eyes, and then they grab the doorknob. Mm -hmm. They just contaminated the doorknob. Mm -hmm. Here comes the next guy in. He grabs that doorknob. And now he's contaminated his hands. Hour later, he's sitting there and he wipes his nose. Mm -hmm. Now he just spread the body. Now, four hours later, he gets on a plane to go to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. He gets off that plane. He's grabbing things on a plane. That's how this disease or any disease starts spreading. And, and it's interesting you brought that because one of the... Uh, the words that keep coming up in this is pandemic, and I, I think that really instills a lot of fear in people. Yeah. Um, thanks to movies like, you know, 12 Monkeys and things like that, you know, th that there's a pandemic. Well, number one, you have to understand what the definition of pandemic is, and that's a global spread. So is this a pandemic? Yes, it absolutely is. It's been spreading across the globe. But even if you go on the CDC or World Health Organization websites, they, even now with the cases increasing, you see it as a low priority. <laughs> We've just been uh, graced by the presence of President Donnelly here in, the, uh, in, the, in this podcast. He's not wearing his Tyvek suit, no N95 mask, and uh, no nitrile gloves. So he's, he's going to be exposed, this guy over here. Um, let's go back to, so, well, you know, with him here, I'm wondering if we're protected, actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, you know, we talked about how it spreads. We talked about the symptoms. Let's get into, uh, what do you do if you're sick? So you start developing some of these symptoms and everything else. Let's talk about some of the precautions you should take if you feel that you could possibly have this is very this simple, or something Billy, else. And this has nothing to do with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. If you're sick stay home. Mm -hmm. Stay home. I'm not saying to self-quarantine, but it's common courtesy 
to just stay home and not, we talk about it all the time at the firehouse where a guy comes in coughing and, you know, making all kinds of noises. And what happens the next week? The rest of the company's out. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do if you're sick, stay home. I might have broken that golden rule. Yeah, we, we've all might have <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. So, so, you know, that leads into preventive measures. Mm-hmm. How are we going to prevent this measure? You know, when we look at who's been infected and the number of healthcare um, workers that have been infected through patient contact, and yeah, I was online last night, and there's been a significant number of healthcare providers that have tested positive from patient contact. But if you again start looking at the numbers, they were contaminated before anyone realized what we were dealing with. Right. So there were really no preventative measures taken. Mm-hmm. I haven't found any significant cases where healthcare providers have been contaminated since this has been identified and we've been taking proper precautions. Right. And again, I don't want to underestimate or um, diminish the severity of this. This is a virus. Mm-hmm. It's a virus I don't want to get. Again, as I said earlier, it's not the zombie apocalypse. So what am I doing to prevent contamination? As far as patient care, most of the fire departments, you know, in our locals provide some kind of EMS, some kind of patient care. This goes back to basic firefighting. Let's pull ourselves back to the fire academy when we had those hazmat lectures. Mm -hmm. Time, distance, shielding. right. If we get a call for an illness, or if we get to the door, why'd you call for the ambulance? Or, you know, if you're on a, uh, a ladder truck or a fire engineer as a first responder, well, I'm flu-like. The first thing is a company officer, I'm going to say, all right, you two guys, why don't you go wait outside, we'll handle this. All right, so I'm going to limit the amount of people being exposed. Right. I'm going to limit the amount of time that I'm in contact with this person. I'm going to stay six feet away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit in their bedroom the whole time, either waiting for the ambulance or assisting. If I don't need to be next to this patient long, I'm not going to. Yeah. So I've shortened my, my time with them. I've shortened my distance or lengthened my distance because I'm staying six feet away. And now we get into shielding. Mm-hmm. Shielding is the most important thing. When we talk about shielding, we all know standard precautions. They used to be called universal precautions, a new... Um, catchphrases, standard precautions, which are gloves. Mm-hmm. Standard precautions should always be worn. If it's any kind of airborne or droplet disease, then we want to move on to airborne precautions, N95 masks, um, eye protection. Mm-hmm. If they're coughing and spitting and I can't prevent that, I want to go into contact precautions, which would be a surgical gown like or a Tyvek suit, mm-hmm. similar to what we're wearing now. Yeah. So those are the precautions, but the number one, number one, and this has never changed through time, the number one method for preventing the transmission of diseases is simple hand washing. Mm-hmm. Soap and water, 20 seconds. Yep. Sing happy birthday while you're washing your hands. That usually lasts around 20 seconds. You know, it's almost ironic you go to the store now and they're completely sold out of all these hand sanitizers. They got plenty of soap. Yeah. There's plenty of soap. Got a lot of Irish Spring. A lot of Irish Spring. (laughs) And it worked. It is the number one method. 
for preventing the transmission mm-hmm. of diseases. What are your thoughts on, you know, we go back to responding to incidents um, or responding to an incident where you sus- you're susceptible that, uh, or you're, you're suspicious that the patient might have coronavirus or uh, are showing signs and symptoms of coronavirus. Uh, what are your thoughts on putting a mask, uh, N95, or something like that on the patient themselves? It's absolutely indicated. Anybody, you know, you could have a patient who's infested with a parasite. What do we do? We put a Tyvek suit on them. Anything they have on them, mm-hmm. we want to keep on them. Yeah. So by putting an N95 mask on them, we'll contain everything inside. The only caution we need to do or use is if they're having respiratory right. problems. Maintain the airway. We still need to maintain an airway. Mm-hmm. We still need to provide oxygen. Yeah. So after that, absolutely, it's indicated. And we're gonna. I want to talk about the N95s in a second, or just even the use of um, this protective equipment. So what's the next step? The next step is transportation to the hospital. I, I know a lot of uh, notices went out to the local responders of how the hospitals are handling it. Um, <laughs> Atlantic Healthcare is setting up tents uh, outside the emergency room. Trinitas Hospital is setting up tents outside the emergency room to handle the influx of these patients. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that should be done is a phone notification to the hospital that we have a unit in route with a patient with flu-like symptoms. Right. When you arrive at the ER, don't just go walking in with the patient. Stay outside. They'll come to you. And they'll do a quick assessment and decide where this patient's going to go, whether they're going to go into an isolation tent where, hey, you know what, this is really nothing. Just come on in. Mm-hmm. So th- that's going to be a, a change in our response. The next thing is, well, now what happens to the crew? It needs to be documented. Yeah. As far as are they going to test you right away? No, because they don't even know what's wrong with this patient. Yeah. If that patient meets that criteria to go into the isolation tent, you know, they just got off a plane from Italy. Yeah, they, then things are going to be done. And that's going to be for an individual um, or the unions themselves, the locals, to start discussing, you know, with their employer, hey, look, this is before, you know, presented to us now. Let's come up with a plan sure. in case this happens. Right. Because this can, you know, theoretically, and I'm not talking about wiping out a firehouse in the sense that they'll all conta- be contaminated, but wipe them out on the presumptive or, or the concern that they may be Exposed, contaminated. More contaminated, right, right. Um, what are your thoughts on, I mean, I, I know there's been a lot of talk and, and maybe it's uh, certain departments. Um, some guys are saying, you know, well, what if we just don't respond? What if we don't go on these calls? What if we don't want to be exposed or be you know, subject to exposure on these types of calls? Well, there's two thoughts on it, and I'll give you the hard line. Mm -hmm. Um, The hard line is this is what we decided to do for a living. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you always have the same guys who are saying that are the same guys who won't put climo vents on the exhaust or smoking during um, overhaul during a fire. So, listen, we took this job. It's an inherently dangerous job. And I'm not saying that in the sense, well, this is something we just have to accept. We don't have to accept it. Okay, we have to make sure that, look, this is what we do. This is what we're being exposed to. You know, if I'm going into a fire and my employer refuses to buy SCBA for me, I have an issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I have an unsafe labor practice going on. 
if I'm going on medical aids, routinely going on medical aids, or even not routinely, and my employer is not providing N95 masks, eye protection, you know, splash protection, gloves, we have an issue. Right. We have, but the bottom line is we are the ones who are on the front lines, like it or not like it, who have to deal with these emergencies. You know, there was a lot of talk during the week that uh, FDNY mm -hmm. is not responding on these calls. Mm -hmm. um, that's untrue. They are responding on these calls. What they did is modified the response. Well, that, yeah. And they mo modified their response appropriately. Mm -hmm. Time distance shielding. They're not sending fire personnel on routine BLS emergencies, mm -hmm. non-life-threatening emergencies. They're not sending fire personnel on as first responders. That's a modified response. Mm -hmm. If someone calls and says they're having trouble breathing, right. they're still going. It's a priority it's an response. Call. Mm -hmm. At the end, so you know you'll always have guys. You know they'll they'll take a little bit of information and you know make try to make it sound like that's the norm, and mm -hmm. and it's not. So should we be modifying responses? Absolutely. There is a pandemic. There is a pandemic again. It's an illness. It's a virus. In some cases, it could be life-threatening, but it's still a low priority. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know one thing that that we gotta remind ourselves is this isn't the first communicable disease that we've come across, right? I mean, no. we've we've had so many different things from SARS, MERS, Ebola swine flu, you know, bird flu, all these different Zika. Zika virus. I mean, all these different things that, that are outbreaks and viruses. Um, Listen, you, you're, you're weren't around when the AIDS virus first came out mm -hmm. in the 80s. And um, I remember people pulling, it were EMTs and paramedics pulling into the emergency room dressed as I am now because mm -hmm. there was such a fear of the AIDS virus and the HIV, you know, HIV, and a lot of it was based on the unknown, and now we know different. Mm -hmm. Again, this is an airborne disease, so there's reason for concern. Sure. Um, there's not a reason for mass panic. No, 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 I, I agree. And, you know, our departments, for the most part, um, are, are well-equipped to, to deal with these types of situations, to deal with these types of medical calls and whatnot. And I agree with you that, you know, there's maybe further steps that departments can take by modifying SOPs, you know, modifying responses and maybe limiting exposure, limiting the number of manpower that's being sent to these types of calls, that kind of thing, um, unless needed for other purposes. But um, it's, it's important for, you know, not only our members to understand what the real facts are, what the truths are behind this, it's important for our family members to understand a, what the facts and truths are behind this, and B, what we have to deal with, uh, you know, while while we're working our jobs absolutely, and our absolutely. careers and responding to these incidents and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think um, I think there's still a lot that we have to learn about this virus. Uh, there's still a lot of data out there that needs to be collected, and um, you know, I'm pretty um, certain that. You know, us as first responders and healthcare professionals and the departments that we work for are taking every proper precaution to... They should be, and if they're not, mm -hmm. that's when the locals need to step absolutely. up. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and there's one other thing I want to touch on, uh, Billy, because um, as we sit here, 
um, with our cynical outfits on today. Um, again, I want to stress, so look, this is a real emergency. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's a real illness. It's not the zombie apocalypse. But one of the things that strikes me is the mass panic that's been put out into the community. And on my way in here, I had stopped for something to eat. And I was looking at somebody standing in line, and he was wearing a pair of nitro gloves. It was a young kid. He was probably around 15, 16 years old. And a couple things came into my mind was, number one, how contaminated are those gloves with everything except coronavirus, that this kid's touching everything. Mm -hmm. And number two, how is he removing those gloves and what's he doing after? I think we've all seen people walking down the street with surgical masks. And I was firefighters and EMTs and hazmat technicians. We spent a significant amount of time in the academy learning how to appropriately don or don and doff this equipment. Yeah. Double gloves, even single gloves, pulling them off so our hands aren't contaminated. Absolutely. Removing the mask, pulling away from our face, folding them within itself so not to spread the virus. Uh, where the civilians have it. So they're walking around with these masks, and then they get home and they think they dodged another bullet. Then they take their bare hand and grab their mask. Mm -hmm. The where all the contaminants potentially are mm -hmm. to throw it out. Right, or reuse it. Or reuse it. Right, right. So, you know, that's what happens with mass hysteria mm -hmm. and global panic. So, again, I don't want to underrate this, but I also need, you know, to put this in a good perspective from for the first responders and for our membership. Look, the bottom line is we're going to get it. Mm -hmm. We're going to get it. They anticipate 70% of the country is either going to get it or already has it. Yeah. What we're not going to do is get it from patient contact. Mm -hmm. We're going to get it from the guy, you know, the coffee shop who just handed me my cup of coffee who is contaminated mm -hmm. and just cross-contaminated through that cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, one thing you just mentioned about, you know, 70% they're predicting of the United States is going to be contaminated or be exposed to this, right? Um, another statistic that I'm reading from the CDC, of the total worldwide confirmed cases, there's 40% that are currently ill with the virus, 56.6% have recovered from the virus, right. and 3.5% have perished from the virus. That's current Worldwide confirmed cases, not and that's confirmed. That's confirmed. Yeah, and and unless they look, there's two things. Unless they really want to get a good number on what this is doing, they'd have to test to everybody mm -hmm. right now, because you might have been, you may have, you know, antibodies already built up, which means you had the virus, you know, weeks ago. Yeah. And the other thing is, realistically, if they want to stop this dead now, mm -hmm. they'd have to institute martial law. Mm -hmm. And it's some countries are actually looking at that now where this is expanded. Um, is it really necessary? In some cases, yeah. Yeah. Um, for a low priority virus, no. No, no. I mean, the majority, you know, the seriousness of the symptoms, 80% uh, of people who have had this in terms of the symptoms are mild like symptoms. 13% are severe, which may include hospitalization. And less than 5%, 4.7%, are 
are critical right. in terms of the, the severity of the symptoms uh, where it might require intensive care or something like that. So it's, you know, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a mild um, virus. On a scale of on viruses. On a scale of viruses. If you compare it to Ebola or... 100%, yeah. Yeah. So, but again, who wants to get sick, especially the elderly? No, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's, there's. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are at risk, that are at high risk, and we need to be need very to protect them. protective of them. They need to take proper precautions, and that might mean that you know the people that are less susceptible to becoming deathly ill from this have to take the proper precautions so that Correct. it doesn't spread to those people that do. Correct. So. Um, I just wanted to thank you again for well, your time for coming on here talking about this. I think we, uh, you know, we, we had a little bit of fun with this, getting dressed up in our, <laughs> our Tyvek suits and, and, and the N95 masks and the gloves. But, uh, you know, the biggest message to send uh, out to the members and, and the people that will be watching and listening to this is, um, you know, it's not something that we want to take lightly, like right. you said. Well, we're not, we're not, yeah, we're not, we're not uh, underestimating this or, or trying to make this something that it's not. But at the same time, we also trying to educate and inform people of the true statistics and the again, facts put about it in this the proper, perspective. proper perspective. Correct. So thanks again for coming on well, to the show. Uh, had a had a uh, a good time sitting here talking with you. And uh, let's hopefully we won't be talking about this in the next couple of months again. We will. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Appreciate it. I, I, I'll give you an uh, air pump right, here. No touching. All those. No touching. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for watching. Stay tuned for uh, another episode from FMBA Nation. And as always, be safe. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening to another great episode of FMBA Nation. And stay tuned for some more great content to come. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also listen on the NJFMBA YouTube channel, as well as Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and the Google Play Store. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the FMBA Nation podcast, please email us at nation at njfmba.org.